This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Lots going on in the Ontario political scene, as uh, we just talked with Alan Carter from Global News. Uh, Also, a PC leadership debate coming up a little later on this afternoon. To talk about all of this, Michael Tobe is with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and he is with us now. Michael, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate this. My pleasure as always, Scott. Uh, Before we get started, I obviously have to ask you about what has transpired in the last 24 or 48 hours in regard to the Patrick Brown scenario. What are your thoughts? Well, the needle has definitely shifted. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that Patrick Brown has been completely exonerated of all the charges or that the accuser's case has completely crumbled or that, say, CTV is heading into bankruptcy. But what has happened, I think, is based on the first part of Patrick Brown's uh, interview which on Global News, which ran last night with Part 2 later tonight, it has shown that there is now enough doubt, at least in terms of the way people are looking at his accusers and the way CTV handled the affair, that they're starting to think a lot more about what Patrick Brown is saying. And even if you looked at the interview and said, well, he was coached to use certain lines, which, by the way, I must point out, Scott, is quite normal in our day in society. That's what crisis communications is all about, to ensure that you have the best plan and the best lines and the best strategy possible to defend your name and protect your reputation, or in this case, rebuild it. I think what it actually did show is that Patrick Brown has presented a number of examples that show that, you know what, that the story of the accusers are not as airtight as we originally thought. As well, I think it is also fair to say that CTV dropped the ball extremely badly when it came to one of the accusers acknowledging yesterday that she was actually not underage when all these things supposedly happened. Mm. She was actually of university age and a bit older. That's a real difference in the narrative, Scott, because I think one of the things that brought down Patrick Brown, who I've known, as I've told you before, and others for over 25 years and was a supporter of him, one of the things that Patrick struggled with was not that just that the two accusers were younger than him, Mm. that one of them was underage. That changes the whole narrative when you look at something like that and sort of say to yourself, well, if she wasn't telling the truth about that, either lying or embellishing, what else about the story isn't true? And it does leave some doubt in your mind. So do you feel the, the, the court of public opinion is changing? How will they react to this? The court of public opinion is shifting. I think that is fair to say now. It is not fully changed, and obviously there are going to be some people who are going to remain firmly with their viewpoint, either that Patrick Brown is guilty or innocent. Again, that's up to the individual. But, but when you present a different story or show <clears throat> pardon me, different facts based on what we saw a few weeks ago, which you know, happened in a few hours and basically led to Patrick Brown going from being a few months away from a viable threat to become the next Premier of Ontario to basically trying to save what little is left of his career. I think we've actually seen just in the last day or so a big sea shift in the way people are looking at this case. And they're now starting to wonder that if Patrick Brown is able to bring forward these details and show a different side to this story, what did really happen here? What caused this, or what forces behind the scene caused this? Was this a political maneuver? Was this something to do with um, you know, a media organization? We just don't know at this stage, but it does make the story far more intriguing, especially in light of tonight's Ontario PC leadership debate. It just seems that, you know, for me, something about this just doesn't seem right. And I mean, even in, if... In which sense? It, well, well, just in the, in the fact that how did we get here from there? What we have is, you know, a- adults who are engaged in, in some sort of sexual behavior or, or, or what have you even if right. we take the accused words verbatim sure we have a person who comes on to another person the other person says no and then the story moves on how do we get from there to here to all of a sudden uh, the head of a, of a provincial party is down um, no chance at running for premier mm-hmm. uh, you know and it seems that if anyone um, speaks up or sa- or raises their hand and said, excuse me, what happened there? They get jumped on for, well, we're not believing the accused. We're not, we're not doing this. We're not accepting that. And it's like, no, it's just something here doesn't seem right. Right. Well, I mean, this is what also happened with the Steve Pakin controversy as well. And look 
at these two events, how they're unfolding. You know, yep. one is, well, we're going to investigate this, but until that's complete, we're going to keep with the status quo. And the other right. one's completely off the rails. I mean, right. I know it's court of public opinion and politics, but still, yeah. something here doesn't right, seem right. And that's why I think the uh, alleged uh, uh, victims here are getting the social media backlash that they are. And again, those sticking up for uh, those who have been sexual assaulted, and God bless them, I do not mean anything against the Me Too movement here. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand here, are we doing any good here if these, if, if we're making mountains out of mohills or the stories prove to be inaccurate in some way? Well, the other thing that's also happening as well is that the Me Too movement or campaign, whatever you wish to call it, has obviously did, done some good for, for society. Both you, I, and I'm sure Absolutely. most of your listeners recognize that. And some bad people, mostly men, have been brought down, and that's a good thing. The problem is that there are also people who are now latching themselves onto this movement, either because they seek attention, or they have mental issues, or they just believe, you know, they're compulsive liars. We don't even know what the rationale now is in many of these cases, but the more cases that are, shall we say, thrown out or disbelieved, which I think Steve Pakin, most people strongly, and I hope they would, realize how nonsensical this story is and how basically how idiotic it is. And as well with Patrick Brown, while there are two examples here, are now looking at a narrative they're changing, they're saying to themselves, well, God, did we react too quickly to this? I think what will happen is that if more of these instances come forward with the Me Too movement or campaign, it's going to diminish the effect and the power that it originally had. Mm. And, you know, it actually is something for people to think about. We want to believe the accusers, obviously, Scott. We want to listen to their stories. But if their stories are not believable or we see people who are lying or embellishing examples or instances that supposedly happened and never actually did occur, that tarnishes the whole thing. So it's something for people to think about. All right, let's talk about the leadership uh, race. Uh, obviously, there's been recent polls out that said it doesn't matter what the story is here. Uh, either one of them, any one of them will still beat Kathleen Wynne. Uh, people aren't holding the party Um, uh, holding this against the party, per se. Does this whole scenario change all of that? Is this going to make people think different about the PC party? Not necessarily, mostly because political debates don't have the effect that they used to at one point in time. I think you and I have talked about it. I, I certainly have with other people over the years, both on radio and TV, and I've written about it. You know, the art of political debates, it doesn't hold the fervor it does with the public or that it used to at one point in time, where people would sort of, you know, listen to every word. And you think of, say, the Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas debates of the 19th century when they both ran for <clears throat> when they both ran for president and how people would sit there enraptured for hours listening to every word and beautifully structured phrases, eloquent paragraphs, etc. And now we just wait for the quickest buzz clip and who can attack whom and we try to get out of there as fast as possible. I think that this political debate, sure, it'll be intriguing to people. People will tune in. They'll want to see how Christine Elliott, Doug Ford, uh, Caroline Mulroney, and, and the fourth candidate obviously react to one another and how they actually are able to intermingle or intersperse questions, what sort of things they come back with, and uh, what issues they opt to tackle. But in the grand scheme of things, if you just look at the three major candidates, and this is no slight to the fourth candidate, but I think it's fair to say that either Elliot Ford or Mulroney will be the next leader of this party, uh, Ms. Graylick is just not going to win it. Um, the only thing that will be captured here is how well each individual does on the podium, because that is actually one of the weaknesses people are seeing with Caroline Mulroney right now is the fact that she just does not handle media communications and public speaking as well as someone more experienced like an Elliot or a Ford. Hmm. And then it's a question of how Elliot and Ford sort of go head-to-head and which one is more powerful, one would think that Doug Ford, because he has, you know, real presence and ability, is a good debater and is obviously a very powerful individual. But Elliot certainly has been around a long time. She can handle her own. It'll be fascinating to see how the dynamic works in this debate, but will it shift opinions or change people's views? Very, very few at best, Scott. Uh, Most, and I guess this started with Doug Ford, started, you know, uh, tweaking the platform, as he put it, whether it's carbon tax or whether it's sex ed curriculum uh, and such. And it seems we're going backwards in a lot of these debates that that have already happened. Uh, How is the public going to react to that? Should they stay with the new platform? Should they tweak it in their own individual way? 
Well, I've written about this. I believe they should tweak it in their own individual way. I mean, all three of the main candidates were not there, and, and the fourth candidate as well. None of them were there. None of them had any say or any input in terms of the way the people's guarantee was built. And as the new leader, he or she has the right to put his or her stamp of approval on anything. And that includes a political platform that you're supposed to be running under. And look, of the, four, of the three major candidates, Ford, Elliott, and Mulroney have all said that the bulk of the people's guarantee will be the, what they, ca- they run their campaign on, and that's great. However, in all three instances, they have all said that they're either now personally opposed to bringing forward a carbon tax in Ontario, or in two of the cases, they will do away with it, or in the third case, that being Christine Elliott, she'll go back to the membership and discuss it with them. I think that is actually very healthy that they want to look differently at these issues. I know people are also focusing on Doug Ford's interest in looking back at the education curriculum or, you know, sex ed curriculum, as some people like to call it, and are saying, well, we're already done with that. Why are we bothering again? I think it's more in the case for Doug Ford. One, we're actually looking at the wrong focus. He wants to look at education in general. It's just that sex ed is a part of it. I agree with that. But two, I don't know if it's necessarily much a question of what's there, although there are certain points that obviously could be improved upon. It was the process people didn't like about that. The fact that the Ontario Liberals created a very narrow window and only discussed it, generally speaking, with people who actually sort of favored the types of policies that they want to put forward. Is that unique in politics? No. Is that unusual to see or hear about? Absolutely not. But I can certainly understand where Doug Ford and perhaps some of the other candidates, Ms. Graylick would certainly be another example of that, want to actually see that thing reopened and discussed properly. And look, no one is ever going to necessarily be happy with any policy that the new Ontario PC leader takes. There will always be disputes about it. Some people will say, well, if Elliot Ford and Mulroney, for example, get rid of the carbon tax, what about this policy? What about that policy? Why do we have this? The people's guarantee, much like any policy platform, is imperfect. Nothing is perfect. Anything can be refreshed, changed, reexamined, etc. It's a question of whether the platform itself is solid enough or strong enough to run on. So even though people will pluck, pick and choose the carbon tax, sex ed platform, and a curriculum and other things and say, well, are we really needing, need to get into the weeds on this? The answer is yes, especially because if these leaders want to be comfortable with the platform and the party that they lead, they need to put that stamp of approval on. They need to shuffle things in and out as they see fit. And they have, more importantly, the democratic right to do it. We live in a free society. We don't have to just follow things willy-nilly or carte blanche because they're there. And, for example, if Doug Ford becomes the next PC leader, and right now I think that the odds are he is the odds-on favorite, he has every right to change it, and he will do so. Michael Tobe has been with us, Trimedia syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Take care, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in George Breckenridge, retired political science professor at McMaster University. He's with us now. George, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate no, this. No problem, Scott. So what are your thoughts on, on this tweet? Uh, is, you know, must always report such instances to authorities again and again? Is, is the president, it appears like he's blaming the neighbors and the classmates for not keeping an eye on this guy. Well, that's right. I mean, and, and of course, the trouble is there are lots of people like that. In, in any society, maybe particularly in the United States. No, I mean, they choose to define this as a mental health problem, but it's not. I mean, there are people that are these angry loners, uh, you know, who, and in his case, he was expelled from school, so looking for revenge, yeah. like resentment. All You know, there's lots, you know, there are people like that all over the place. Mm. Um, that's not the question. The que- and, and it's very difficult to, you can't really monitor people like that. You know, 24 hours a day, it's impossible. And um, so the problem is not that. The problem is the, that they have such easy access, legal access in many cases, to guns. And not only guns, but these semi-automatic guns. That's the problem. So will the president have to react this time? Many have said, many, you go way back to Sandy Hook, many thought that, yeah. uh, you know, that was going to change they did. things. Yeah, they did, yeah. Uh, so that being said... Uh, 
will he will President Trump have to react this time, especially with midterms? No, I think he's already reacted. You know, his uh, the, the the support, particularly among his base, but among Republicans generally, is not to do anything. You know, they're 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 um, there's such a mythology about guns that has, that has grown and been fostered. Because the problem has been getting worse and worse. It's, this is, it hasn't always been anything like this bad in terms of the number of gun deaths or the number of... This is, the, this is apparently... Is the, there have been more than 40 school shootings with, you know, a num- with numbers of people killed since 2000, the year 2000. And um, assault, you know, they have in the past been able to do some things. So assault weapons were banned, I think, back in the 60s. But that, uh, or somewhere like that, but that that expired in 2004, and they never renewed it. There wasn't the support to renew it. Uh, in February of last year, Trump and the Republicans repealed an Obama rule that made it more difficult for those with mental illness to buy a yeah, gun, exactly. adding background checks exactly, and such. Exactly. And uh, yeah, uh, it, seems, it seems that they insane. obviously took that away. Yeah. Uh, will he pay for that? Will Trump pay for that? Will, that, will the, no, this administration... No, not with, not with his base he won. No, not at all. No, there, there's the reality is, I mean, the people, the Democrats and some Republicans have tried, particularly under, after Sandy Hook. They really looked like there would be a possibility of some, you know, fairly minor uh, background check changes and things like that. There's, there's been momentum to try and do that, and the public supports that. But there simply isn't any will on the part, particularly of, of the minute of the Republicans. And the leaders know that there's just no hope, waste, no point wasting their time trying to pass legislation because the support just simply isn't there. So have Americans simply given up on this? I think so. I, th- I, I do. I mean, it, it, I don't see any sign at all unless you get a much more... Um, because, I mean, how... How awful does a shooting have to be, you know, to move public opinion? People were sure after Sandy Hook with all these little kids, you know, that that surely would shake public opinion, but it didn't, not enough. I mean, the polls show that the public is supportive of of more background checks and stuff like that, but that doesn't translate into um, support in the Congress because the, because the NRA, you know, the National Rifle Association, and people like that, and the general mythology around guns, which has been fostered in the United States, means that the people who are opposed to any kind of, and of course they see it as a, as a slippery slope. So any regulation of guns at all is, you know, is, means the government is going to come and take away your guns and you're going to be defenseless. Why does this have to be a discussion of extremes? I mean, there's a long way between the right to bear arms and the ability to buy an AR-15 in a Walmart yeah, that, that'll split you in half. So where is the happy medium here? Why does this discussion always end up at the extremes instead of, no, we, 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 we respect the right to bear arms, but when this was written, AR-15s weren't around. No, that's right. I mean, you know, well, I think it's partly because, as I say, this, the, uh, the, the ownership of the ownership of the unlimited ownership of guns, the easy access to guns has become symbolic of the sort of anti-government, anti-Washington feeling, which is, you know, which has always been there to some degree in America, in, the, in American history, but has, has been fostered by the right uh, in recent years. And um, so it's seen as symbolic, you see. So anything like that means, you know, the, um, America's a society which is very prone, more than anywhere else I, I'm aware of, to conspiracy theories. And one of them is, um, the government is going to come and take away your guns, you yeah. know, and uh, or the United Nations are going to come and take away your guns or some ridiculous thing like that. And the irony is that under Trump, gun sales have gone down. Why? Because people don't think he's going to come. Yeah, they don't it. feel the threat, and that well, always under happens. Obama, under Obama, yeah. they, they spike. As soon as there was a, as soon as there was some sort of uh, traumatic situation like this, and there was chatter of gun control, the sales yeah. would go through the roof the next day. Yeah, I mean, after after the shooting at Sandy Hook, and then the, that you know the, the shooting in Las Vegas. I mean, you can't get any more horrible than that. So there's Our nothing. Pol- there's nothing that's going to shake up at, at the minute at any rate. But as I say, on the other hand, there ha- it, assault weapons were banned for a number of years, Our, start, starting in a very different kind of climate, and then it simply was not renewed. 
Are politicians using the right approach here? Are they as responsible for this land of extremes? In, in, in other words, like, where is the Republican or even the Democrat that yeah. wants to stand up and say, I love my gun. I'm a, I'm a sports shooter. It's yeah. a part of my life. I love my gun. Yeah. But we've got to get a handle on this. Well, there are some people who say that sort of thing. There are some, but they're not, there's not enough. And it's not putting enough, the people in Congress, whatever their private views might be, they don't feel enough pressure. They feel like they feel pressure the other way around in Congress. And so they're, they, it's, it's, they're, they're afraid, basically, politically afraid to vote for, for any kind of gun control. It was fascinating. I was listening to a report uh, from New Orleans talking about Mardi Gras, and there had been three shootings yeah. uh, during Mardi Gras. And the police chief was quoted as saying, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, there's going to be drinking here. Leave your firearms at home. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which seemed almost a bizarre statement. Well, I mean, uh, As if you can't curb this at the local Walmart over the counter, yet yeah. you're going to curb it by telling everybody to keep their guns away from Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, nobody's, you know, the people who are prone to take guns around, and of course, uh, are not going to listen to that. But of course, a lot of the guns have a have a concealed carry. You know, you're allowed to to carry a concealed gun. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 completely nuts. I mean, it, and um the 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 other thing is that the spectacular shootings like this, horrible shootings like this, are the least of it because they're only a fairly small proportion of total gun deaths. Yeah. Because there, there's suicide, there's accident, there's domestic violence. It would be funny if it would not funny is the wrong word, but it'd be interesting if you know somehow you could equate all of the shooters in America with somehow terrorism, and it would be a completely different discussion. It would be <laughs> something that would have to be eradicated tomorrow. Yeah, well, you see, somebody like Trump is extremely selective on what he comments on. So anything that can be seen as a terrorist a terrorist um, incident or caused by an illegal immigrant, I mean, yeah. he pounces on right away. And other th- other things like this is just, you know, mm. the usual cliche. Yeah, more Americans are dying this way than they are from terrorists or illegal immigrants. Yeah, much more, much more. Mm. And, and yet all you get in this situation is cliches about mental health. Yeah. Know? So uh, can he keep shoving this off to mental health and cut Medicare at the same time? At what point does he have to, okay, so you don't want to curb gun, uh, you you don't want to uh, uh, change gun control legislation. What about handling the mental health that you are so concerned about? Well, well, I mean, they've had great difficulty getting... Uh, even money for the opioid, uh, you know, epidemic in America, which is very widespread. And, and in areas which are Trump supporting, it's not the cities, it's in the small towns and rural areas. And they've had great, I mean, he makes statements, but there's no money to follow up. And the same would be true with mental health. I mean, mental health facilities are inadequate just about in every country, you know, including ours. But, so, but putting putting way major more money into it is not going to happen. I don't think. No, not not under Trump. Will this affect the midterms in any way? This this event? No, I think it just it just uh, increases the uh, the polarization on on a, on an issue like guns as well. I mean, it uh, this plays to his base. I mean, his base is is you know. Has buys into all these conspiracy theories about government coming to take away your guns, and and also the other excuse is well we need it for self defense and of course the problem with that is the statistics show that you know if people with guns in the house are much more likely to die in gun shooting accidents than anything else than they are to to use them to defend themselves so there's a lot of mythology and and conspiracy notions around it. Let me so, ask. I mean, that, that's pretty prevalent in his base, and that, that's not going to change. Let me ask you this, George. Uh, Obama, I remember listening to a interview with Obama after he left the White House. Yeah. And he was talking about the many times that he had to go up and stand in front of the podium and yeah. give the speech about another mass shooting. That's right. And then meet the parents and whatever. And he yeah. said that was... Uh, that as well as meeting veterans, families and such, that was the most difficult thing that he ever did. And he said time after time after time after time, it just kept 
eating at him and wearing at him. That's right. I'm uh, sure. Donald Trump, we saw what happened in Syria when there was poison gas used and children were affected. My goodness, Donald Trump, we saw a completely different side of him. The next thing you know, there's a military engagement going on. Right, right. What will happen the fourth or, or third or fourth time Donald Trump's got to stand up and say this exact same speech like Obama did? Do you think it will affect him? Well, Obama was very, very good. I mean, I'm sure it was all the worst part of his job. Very, very good at sympathizing and with with people in these situations. Trump is no good, not good at that at all. I mean, no, but his reaction to what happened in Syria, whether he puts his foot in his mouth or not, it proved <laughs> that he did have a human side. Yeah. Will this eventually gnaw on him like it will, like well, it did Obama? Well, you would think in a normal person it would, but I'm not sure yeah. he's the normal person with normal, <laughs> normal emotions at all. So, uh, do you think a week from now this story's done? Um, pretty well, I think, until the next time. I mean, you know, you, you, know, you can't say you're surprised that uh, no, this has happened. No, you know, no, no. It's, it's, it's not a surprise at all. And, and uh, it's, it's horrible, it's sad, it's, it's terrible, but, but you can't be surprised at it as long as there's easy access to guns, which is, what, which is the root of the problem. Um, and the available, you know, the easy, and, and of course, the, the shooters typically have loads of guns. They don't just have one gun, they have loads of guns. You know, and uh, so the guns are heavily concentrated in, in a small, you know, in a relatively small proportion of the population. But that's part of the population which, you know, these, these uh, crazy loners, people with mental health problems, or, you know, they've been fired from their job or they've been expelled from school and they're looking for revenge. They can get guns, and so they cause all this carnage. The president, the role of the president takes many shapes throughout uh, yeah. a term as they have to deal with not only the economics and the basic politics yeah. of the day, but any sort of tragedy yeah. or, or world event That's right. that happens. Yeah. Uh, how do you think Donald Trump's going to react to this? Because events like this, because again, this is all part of the job. This is all part of, of the program. Do you think he anticipated this? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. It's part of the job that comes with being head of state. The, the president is head of state as well as being, you know, political head. That's the way the Constitution was written at, at that time. And so the, the job of being what's uh, what Bill Clinton used to call being mourner in chief, you know, comforting people and speaking out eloquently like Obama did or Clinton did, or or even George W. Bush, who clearly was, you know, was an empathetic man. Um, on these occasions, it may be the hard thing for them to do, but they do it. But there's really little sign that Trump has, has normal emotions on these kind of things. I mean, mm. you can you occasionally see flickers of it, like you're talking about the Syrian situation, mm. you know, which is a distant situation. It's not. It's way over there, and um, most people are not aware of it really. But uh, you get occasional flickers of humanity in in Trump, but he really is a very very strange man. You know, there's very little sign. It's all about him, himself and his feelings and his needs and very little empathy towards anybody else. All right. I can't let you go, George, without asking your thoughts on what has happened in Ontario over the last 24, 48 hours or even going back uh, a couple of weeks to the Patrick Brown yeah. uh, resignation and such. What are your thoughts how this is all playing out? Well, Patrick Brown is desperately trying to salvage some remnants of his career. I mean, I, you know, I can't, you know, I have no way of judging the truth of, of the, of the uh, allegations against them, except to say that these organizations and news organizations are usually very careful. You know, they're usually very confident of their sources. And, uh, but Brown has, tried, has decided to try and fight this. But how you prove that this didn't happen or something like that. I'm not sure at all. I mean, how do you stay in the caucus? He's trying to get renominated mm-hmm. because uh, the, the temporary leader has said, you know, he won't sign his nomination papers. Um, so he's desperately, he's scrambling desperately to sort of salvage some of his political career. Whether that, I doubt that that'll work. I mean, the timeline is very short for the election, obviously. And, uh, and I don't know how you, you know, the, the the trouble with the Brown allegations were they seem to play into 
stories that were apparently around in Ottawa when he and someone, Dixter and some of his buddies were in Ottawa, were MPs, backbench MPs in Ottawa. There were stories that, you know, they were misbehaving. Right. And so when you get a more specific allegation, it plays right into that. Right. And people are, are much more inclined to to think it fits, you know, to believe, to believe it. Surprised that this situation, which is now really, at this point, nothing filed, anonymous allegations, right. and as you said, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there have been allegations, or, you know, whispers, we'll say, of this uh, in the past. Are you surprised, although with lack of, of, of really substance to it, are you surprised that we got here from there? You surprised that you know two well, adults, two, say, two adults, something happened. Uh, you know, one made advance, uh, 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 one made advances on the other. The other one rejected, and then each went their separate way. No charges, no whatever. I understand the public court of public opinion and politics is different, but are you surprised this situation ended up where it was? Well, it's partly, it the, partly because of the current climate They're arising from, for some reason. The Harvey Weinstein story was so horrible, you know, such a such a ghastly, you know, serial predator, obviously, um, that somehow that really lit a fire and public opinion really focused and media opinion really began to focus on this. And then you get all these other uh, allegations. Now, it's partly, it's, you know, the, the notion that, well, these are anonymous allegations, but, you know, it's very difficult for women, or mm-hmm. certainly has been in the past, very difficult for women to come forward with, with charges because ultimately these things are he said, she said. You know, yeah. there's nobody else there. Mm-hmm. And so women have tended not to not to raise it publicly or not, or so they've complained and nothing has happened. So you can't judge the the accuracy of the allegation simply by the fact that it's anonymous, I don't think. I don't think that's fair. So it's it's partly the climate. This was suddenly there's this there's this kind of laser focus, in you know the Me Too movement and stuff like that on the prevalence of this sort of thing, particularly among people who are in positions of power, you know, and are older. Or it some, just to me, some, George, seems an, an uneven relationship. Yeah. It just seems odd to me, George, the way the Steve Pagan case has been handled and the way this one was handled. Something mm-hmm. right, something doesn't. And I understand that politics is different than private industry, but it just it something doesn't seem right here to me. Well, so the Steve Pakin case is, is the closest I've seen. I, I don't know if you saw Margaret Wente's column in the Globe and Mail on this. Um, and it seemed to me to be very fair and carefully written that uh, that really did seem to be a case where there really are doubts, as far as I can tell, that this really was, really did happen the way the woman um, says it did. Uh, you know, say in the case of Patrick Brown, it 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 fitted into what people saw as a pattern and bad of bad behavior, mm. and therefore it was much more credible. And of course, also the stakes were much higher, in a political sense, because you know, the, he was going to you know, yeah, I don't think he was a good leader in any case. I think the party was quite glad to get rid of him, as far as I can tell. Do you think there was something underhanded going on here? Do you think this is a setup? I don't think it was. No, I don't think it was a setup. I don't see any evidence of that. But they were much more willing to believe it mm. and to act on it than otherwise they might have been if it had been some beloved figure or very popular leader. Which Are we wasn't. judging Patrick Brown different than we did Pierre Trudeau? Well, that was a different era. I mean, one of the interesting things... So was 10 years ago. Pardon? So was 10 years ago when these allegations were made. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, they're made now about what happened 10 years ago. Yeah. All right, George, i got to let you go. We're out of time. George okay. Breckenridge has been with us, retired political science professor at <laughs> McMaster University. George, always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. Yes. Much appreciated. No problem. Thanks. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, of course, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator, in studio today. Scott Squared, <laughs> which happened a few times playing ball hockey over the years, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Very good. Strong introduction. Way to go. That Scott. ever happened to you playing ball hockey? Uh, or do you ever yeah. run along with your stick in front of you and hit a chunk of ice ooh, and uh, you ooh, did it that way? Ooh, that yeah, that happened yeah, a few times. Yeah. Floor hockey. I remember the floor the, hockey that yeah. happened. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, just dodgeball too comes to mind. Such happy memories of childhood. <laughs> That's right. It's amazing uh, we had kids, isn't it? Let's. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing they've turned out as well as they have. It's amazing they allowed us. That's what's amazing there. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Olympics. Uh, We're a couple of days in. I asked Rick Zamperin this the other day. Uh, Obviously, before the Olympics, there's all sorts of preamble about will venues be ready? Will this be that? Now, in this case, it's mostly politics, of course. Uh, You know, is is North Korea going to missile test during the middle of all of this? Uh, And now, of course, we're into the games. There's been, uh, you know, some doping. There's been uh, some, some threats. But how do you look at the Olympics, you know, a couple of days in? What are your view? What stands out to you? Uh, the the good is Canada's doing very well, again, mm-hmm. as we have become used to us doing very well and winning medals in things that we don't win medals in. We've won two medals in luge, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, that, talk about the um, the mixed blessing thing. I mean, it's all great that they won medals. But what a sport to be an athlete in, because literally for... Three years, 51 weeks, and six days. Nobody cares about luge. And then once every four years, we go, wow, luge. We're doing great in luge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then tomorrow, we have forgotten about luge. So I'm, I'm delighted for the athlete, athletes that have done well in this. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that would be a tough sport to be in because no one pays any attention to you any other time of year. But no, Canada's done well. We're winning medals. We're winning hockey games. We beat the Americans in women's hockey last Talk night. Talk a little bit a about that because there always seems to be a dust up. Always seems to be a rough kind of tough. Uh, that's quite the rivalry, isn't it? I thought maybe last night. I stayed up to watch. Sarah Nurse, Hamilton girl, unbelievable goal. Winning goal yeah. last night. Just a snipe. She was terrific. Yeah. First Olympic goal. But I stayed up to watch, and the end of that game, I thought we may have our first women's hockey Olympic brawl. I'm yes. not being, I'm not overstating yeah. it. No, no. And I thought, as it was, as it was getting a little chippy in front, I thought, well, no, no, none of these women are going to throw any punches because they don't want to be kicked out. Yeah. and miss yeah, it. That's right. But if the gold medal game, and it'll be Canada in the states, if the gold yeah. medal game has a three or a four goal difference, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked to see some big hitting going on and see some people taking some, one way or another, taking some runs. I could now, easily a lot see of these that. Because they kn- hate each other. A lot of these players know each other because they all play for different universities, same universities or such. So what what, what happened to the love there? The, the, Cassie Campbell, who's the analyst on these yeah. games, was talking about it, and she pointed out they hate each other. Yeah. You put on the if you're an American and you see someone in a Canadian women's hockey, you know, American Canadian women's hockey uniform, you hate them. And it's yeah. a it's it's an amazing rivalry spurred largely by the fact that there is no real other rival. Yeah, there's yeah, no other team yeah. that really stands between you and a gold medal. Yeah. And when it's been that way now for 25 years, and it's never changed. You understand uh, these these are these women are competitors. They mm. are athletes. They are they want to win. That this is their Stanley Cup final. This is everything else. And if there is one team that's between you and them, and they don't like you, you're not going to like them. And and you know what? I love this. Yeah, I yeah. love the fact that women's hockey has moved into this. Not not. I'm not talking about fighting, but that there is a real legitimate passion passion and animus, and not just with the players, the yeah. fans too. Yeah. The fans last night in the rink were going at it. Do you think more people will be talking about women's hockey than men's hockey this yes. time out? Yes, absolutely. I mean, because there's no NHL. I mean, where's this? here we are talking about the women's before we even get to the men's. Uh, the men have a chance to become the story. Because we don't really know. We saw one game. Uh, I don't know how many people actually got up to see it. We we had one game of the men. They looked pretty good. Yeah. But uh, they have a chance to become the story if their tournament really turns into something sensational. But I think that much like our women's national soccer team mm. with Melissa Tancredi mm. and Christine Sinclair and all of them, they kind of became the household names. Name someone on Canadian men's soccer team. Canada, you can't. Most yeah. people couldn't, but yeah. we know the women because of success. Yeah. And so the men could take over, I guess, but right now more people know a lot of the women. Talk about the men's hockey team before the NHL joined and now post-NHL. Is it the same team? Is it the same type of team? Well, no, because before the NHL started into the Olympics, they had national a national team that yeah. stayed together and played together. Yeah. Essentially, the men's... An extension of the juniors. Somewhat, mm-hmm. somewhat, but the, the men's team essentially did what the women's team does now. They yeah. got to, they centralized, they got together yeah. for a year before, they lived together, all this stuff, and they were a traveling Canadian team. This one 
they played in a bunch of different tournaments and stuff, but essentially they were brought it's together. It's a piecemeal team. Yeah. It's a piecemeal team. So does it have the attraction because of that? People don't know. People are, oh, who's on the team? Well, that guy used to play with... There's a few good. guys who used to play for the Hamilton Bulldogs who were yeah. on this team. There are some interesting and some compelling it's stories. Like a, it's like you know a, a bunch of B-list players. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, I was joking with Don Robertson, who is in here on my show on Monday nights, and he runs, coaches the Dundas Real McCoy senior yep. hockey team. This is essentially yeah. a an all-star senior team from across the league, from across Canada, and they're very good, and some of them have not been out of the NHL for very long, and they're very good players, a lot of them. But the other difficulty is with the women's team, you have consistently with the Canadian and American women, at least been on this upward trajectory of yeah. skill. So each Olympics, they come back and they are better. Yeah. Now we've had what, four Olympics, five Olympics with the best NHL players. And now we're dropping down exactly. to that B team it's, and it's harder to I get so. geared up about it. Yeah. I think, I think people are wondering how do we get excited for this? How do we, it, it's not, and it it's may been. happen. It may ha again, it may happen if Canada does exceptionally well, better than we expect, or if the hockey is way better than we think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of people are pretty, uh, not expecting a whole lot. There are ways, as I say, that this could become a real talking point. I'm just not committing myself to saying that it's going to happen. Uh, doping, I think there's one case with a Japanese speed skater. Surprised yeah. we haven't heard more of this. Uh, considering what's happened with the Russians pre-games, do you think everybody's looking at this differently? Ha has it changed? You mean, is everyone now has playing fair? Yeah, has it changed? I don't believe that has everyone's playing thing? fair. Has it changed things, though? Maybe for some. Uh, maybe for some. Maybe there are some who say I've, it's not worth it to, to do this. People have been injecting various chemicals and horse tranquilizers and everything else into their buttocks for years. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's suddenly stopped. One thing I love that the IOC and that the, and WADA is now doing world anti-doping agency is that they now keep these for the last number of years. Anyway, yeah. they keep their samples mm -hmm. on ice for a decade or two. So you can go back yeah. in 20 years. So when the testing technology has uh, increased. When they suddenly yeah. realize there may be, let's say there's a chemical called Scott Thompson one yeah. that's out there that no one has ever seen before. Well, how do they test for that? Yeah. But 10 years from now, after the first positive test and someone goes, what's this chemical? Well, we'll call it Scott Thompson one. Now they can go back and do testing on everybody to see who was using that. So I somebody at age 50 will lose their metal. Potentially. Yeah. I, I mean, Will they go back and actually do that? I see. I don't think they will put the time in to go and check all Olympians since the dawn of time or mm. even just the winners. But if there were to be another, there was a thing called the clear. That was the Barry Bonds thing out right. of the lab in San Francisco. If it turned out that they suddenly discover, well, we think there are now dozens or hundreds of people using this one, they may then go back and look for that down the road, and that scenario could actually play out. You could have someone 10 years from now receiving a medal because someone else got disqualified. Who knows? Uh, talk about uh, the speed skater who, of course, uh, ended up uh, making the podium and uh, getting up into bronze, uh, Kim Boutin. Kim Boutin, yeah. Kim, well, who, think, who, should uh, we do it like French? Kim Boutin? Boutin, sure. Poutine. Um, <laughs> now you're going to get us in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, obviously receiving threats as a result of this, uh, is it any less winning your medal this way? No, that's, that, that is, short track speed skating has this happen all the time. Short yeah. track speed you skating take someone out. is roller derby on ice and yeah. that's why it's so yeah. popular. Yeah. But you're so packed in and you're going around the corners and the turns and, and you do have people who will push or who will shove and there are disqualifications all the time. The the thing that seems to have surprised people is that some, that she's receiving anti-nasty notes and threatening things. Yeah. I don't know how people are shocked by this. I really don't. Because there's this, there's this belief, it seems, in some people, naive or hopeful, I don't know, that when, when the TV cameras turn off and all the athletes go back to the village for the night, they gather around the Olympic flame and hold hands and sing kumbaya <laughs> and roast marshmallows or That's something a, on they it. Don't, well, no, they go to Canada House. And... Every, the Olympics, all, all the athletes know Canada House is the place to be. Well, that's true. That's true. But they, so th there's this perception when, when, um, uh, Thomas Bach stands up at the beginning and goes, I, I, what's the wording? I implore the youth of the world to gather together and blah, 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 blah. And all the athletes are hearing is gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. <laughs> and so the fact is the idea that the Olympics are some sort of bastion of unusual sportsmanship. Yeah. While a lovely idea 
And while certainly an ideal that we could strive for is naive to the nth degree, the money that you get in certain countries anyway, if you can win, is massive. The, the or in the fame, case of North Korea, you just get to keep the members of your family. <laughs> that's the, probably not wrong. Uh, the, uh, have you seen, we were talking last night, have you seen, have you watched any of the North Korean cheer team? I have seen that on YouTube, yeah. As we call the yeah. enthusiastic North Korean Stepford Wives. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, uh, I've I always wondered what it would be like if you're in the stadium and that breaks out. How can it not take all of the attention away from anything that's going on? The truly baffling part about this is, well, it, first of all, before I start, let me say we had a guest on last night talking about this. He's a guy who works with the leading organization in Canada that works with North Korean defectors and refugees who mm. come here. And he is quick to point out, we were talking about this, this, this cheerleading team was sent by Kim Jong-un as a charm offensive. We're yeah. going to show you North yeah. Korea. It's not like mm. you've heard. We mm. got all these lovely things going and everybody, on. Thinking that everybody would look at this and not and think it would be anything but weird, which yes. is what came and out it, what it. it's really come Creepy, out is... Creepy, I think, was the headline. Yeah, and, and people are looking at it almost like a comedy thing now, because, but it's not comedy. It's, it is incredibly sad. If you read the yeah. stories, yeah. they are at a separate hotel from everyone else, yeah. and when they go to their dining room, they march two by two yeah. with male chaperones, mm-hmm. and, and and he pointed out, if anybody dared to try and defect... Uh, yeah, they're embedded all through all of this. Their like, families yeah. would mm-hmm. all be rounded up yeah. and made to go into hard labor camps for the rest of their life and probably tortured and killed. And so while they are a curiosity and I mean, the most amazing thing to me was the first time we really saw them was at the first game that the Korea, that the combined Korean hockey team played Mm -hmm. and they had Kim Jong-un's sister and Thomas Bach, again, the head of the IOC and all this stuff and the cheerleaders, the game ends. The place has emptied out, and according to the reporters, the cheer team is still cheering and yeah. singing their songs yeah. like they're not even yeah. aware of their surroundings. Yeah. And you look at this and you think, yeah, it's a curiosity, and it, in some ways it kind of looks kind of funny, but they're not living the no, nightlife in, in South Korea. Although, you know, I remember talking, I was talking to somebody uh, from Hand Voice on this. That's and, who we had. And I said yeah. that... Um, you know, what's to stop these people from going home and telling the rest of North Korea, my goodness, you should see what's on the other side and of the you, wall. And did you get an answer? It, it's it's Disney World. And he said, well, they're treated like elite. They're eating meat, is how he put it. And he said, so there are, because they are treated like elite, there is no way they're going to do anything to jeopardize that for themselves and their family. Well, further, there was a story, I think it was in the Daily Mail, but I could be wrong. It was about this, and it was pointed out that talking about what you saw on the other side of the wall would get you put into hard labor camp if someone... And what's amazing, what we don't understand about North Korea and what he was talking about last night is everybody tells on everybody because yeah. you're afraid if you don't, you'll be rounded up. And yeah. so if you and I are sitting there and we're family members and, yeah. and they, and I said, oh, I saw this, you may go and tell someone and I'm then taken away my own butt. to save your own butt. So yeah. they won't even talk about this. They're not allowed yeah. to yeah. interact with other people. Yeah. People have tried to take selfies and they yeah. look straight ahead. Yeah. They literally look like they came from the hall of presidents ride at Disney yeah. world as animatronics. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how, um, South Koreans are reacting to this because in a sense, in order to stop Kim Jong-un from lobbing missiles and testing during the Olympics, they basically had to let North Korea come in and hijack the games. And that's really what's happened here. Well, this is the better option. <laughs> yeah. This is the better option. Yes, let's put up, be. Let's put up with the weird cheer team yeah, yeah. and be nice to Kim Jong-un's sister and maybe they won't drop bombs. And you know, it all goes back, and we're getting way off the Olympic thing, but... There's been all these questions about, you know, could there be a preemptive strike on North Korea and their mm. nu- their nuclear weapons and everything else? All the reports are that that North Korea has tens of thousands of missiles and other things pointed at Seoul. Mm-hmm. So you attack North Korea, yeah. they're not going to fight back against the states. Yeah, yeah. They're going to bomb the snot out of South Korea. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're South Korea, the, you're saying, okay, you know what? If it takes some cheerleaders yeah, and some other stuff, yeah. bring it on. This is better than what we but could South be facing. But South Koreans have seen this before. They've, you know, For they've, years. They've seen that, you know, these goodwill gestures and so on and so forth, and they never go anywhere. So you can see why they're skeptical of all this. Well, and it also depends on the generation. Younger people look differently than, than, than the older the generation The second has. the TV cameras go off and all the media goes home. Yeah. Do you really think this has long-lasting implications? No. I don't. No, no. I don't. The testing will continue. 
we are going to do this to make ourselves look reasonable or somehow less threatening to the world, but don't think for a second that somehow this is changing a whole lot. We hope. Mm-hmm. Look, cross your fingers, touch wood that somehow this does have an impact. I just, I'm not that And especially when you have Vice naive. President Pence sitting there uh, and uh, Kim Jong-un's sister right behind him, and they both look so stone-faced, even though they're literally, uh, you know, arm's length apart. And then, of course, after Pence leaves, you know, maybe we should chat. Well, you, you know, you are just almost shoulder to shoulder with them. Why didn't you do it it's then? A, it is a, it's, it's quite a political dance. It is a huge, I was just going to say, it's a huge, complex tricky political game because if Pence turns around yeah. and has a long hey, how are you? conversation, some of my popcorn. there may be implications back home that you were being mm. nice or whatever yeah. to the North Koreans. If you don't do it, I don't know that there is a right way and a wrong way, quite honestly. How do you deal, uh, put this in a different perspective for a second. Let's say instead of this being in South Korea in 2018, this is 1936 in Berlin, mm. and Mike Pence, or whoever was the vice yeah, president, yeah. is sitting there, and you're sitting right behind Adolf Hitler. Yeah. What is the yeah. proper response to deal with, are you supposed to chat him up and try yeah. and mollify him, or mm. do you ignore him? Mm. It's, it's not an easy, politically, it's not an no. easy thing, or morally even. How will we remember these games, or do you think the story is still yet to be told? Oh, absolutely, still left to be told, because... As well as Canada has done so far, and we've done exceptionally well. As I say, every morning we wake up and mm-hmm. we have more medals. Most of the sports that we as Canadians are really passionate about are still to come. Mm. The figure skating has started, but yep. Canadians love their figure skating. Hockey is going on. Curling is going on. Our women curlers are not doing particularly well right now. They can't no. win a game. But nonetheless, it, you know, there's time and the playoffs still are to come. Uh, the bobsleigh, all, three of our local athletes are in bobsleigh. Uh, there are, so the things that we've won so far are lovely. Every medal is great. What do you think of mixed curling? I think it's a gimmick. I, I said this on the air. I think if we're going to have mixed curling, who, that's fine. Who is sport for? What do you mean? Who is sport for? Why do we play sport? Well, I think the... At the end of the day, isn't it for oh, the fan? Uh, if there's nobody watching... No, it's, it's, it's for both. It's for the athlete and for the fan, but mixed curling is clearly for the fan. It is a way to draw TV ratings because they know it does well. But my point, and I said this on the air, this if we're going to add mixed curling, which is fine. I, I have no problem with mixed curling. I'm not a curling fan, but I have no problem with bringing in mixed curling. But let's then have mixed hockey. Honestly, let's have a mixed team of men and women that you have to have a certain number of each on the ice, or three-on-three hockey. Let's, let's start mixed, expanding mixed, into other things. Mixed two-person luge. Th- that might have to be I after think, 11 o'clock at night. I, I think mixed <laughs> curling would be better if there were cocktails served on the ice. I swear this game originated in some local curling club where members just, you know, uh, Bob and uh, Linda aren't showing up tonight. Yeah, what are play- we going to do? Uh, well, let's just put their stones down here and play as if they're here. I'm just, sorry, I'm stuck on the mixed luge. <laughs> I t- and, you don't, and you definitely don't want to have mixed skeleton. Because then you do have to do it after prime time when it's only adults watching it, probably on like Cinemax or something. Uh, aren't, uh, I don't think, I think there's too many movements here to be talking about this right now. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.